On this special episode, our last of 2022, I thought I'd take a look back at some of my favorite sound bites from the last 12 months. I spoke to some incredibly talented product marketers and product marketing experts over the last 22 episodes. So finding my standout conversations was a real challenge. If I could, I'd pick out an insight from every one of my guests. Regardless, the highlights of Selectic continue to resonate with me and I'm sure they will with you over the course of the next year. If you ever wanted a clear indication that product marketing is on the rise, with more and more people looking to get into the field, look no further than the fact that our most listened to episode on Spotify this year was all about getting into product marketing. During my conversation with Elin Pei, Director of Product Marketing at Teachable, she shared some of her own observations around the challenges aspiring product marketers face and how she suggested they address those challenges. I, I think, you know, um, to start off, uh, I want to share just like the type of people who generally come to work with me, right? Um, so these are really high achieving professionals, right? Who are trying to pivot into product marketing um, from a different field like myself, right? And but they're just not able to get that job offer, right? Or break in to get to land that interview because of all their previous experiences that are not tied into product marketing. So I think when you have gone through that journey, you know, for a little bit of time and, and being kind of getting those rejections, right? It does a lot of things to you. And it's like, it's, it's not very encouraging. So I think I do two things. One is first of all, giving practical advice on how actually actually going to land the interviews and get the offers, right? And I do that by really helping people understand what are your strengths and your values, right? It's not just about the job, it's who you are. And then finding the opportunities that actually aligns with you, with your strengths, what you're offering, whether that is your domain expertise, whether it's actually something you're good at, right? Whether maybe you're research focused or maybe you're sales enablement focused or something else, right? And pulling those experiences from your past, that's your strengths. And then really highlighting that throughout every part of your story that you're telling during the interviews, right? So that storytelling aspect, again, I think that's probably why <laughs> I also work as a coach because that's my job as a product marketer. And then the other part is also building up, you know, their product marketing skills in the process of interviewing and working with me is like when we're deep diving into a problem, you know, if, you're, if somebody's asking, how do you actually do a product marketing launch, right? A product launch. It's not just like, I'm going to do this, this tactical things. It's like, let's break it down, right? These are the different components of what a good launch is supposed to be, right? First, you really need to validate the problem. Uh, sorry, you need to validate the market, right? And then working very close to the product team to do that. So it's like research skills that you need, right? And then there's stakeholder alignment skills that you need. So maybe you've done that in your past, right? You just haven't done product launch, but you've done all of these different components that make up product launch. So then how do you frame all of those stories into something cohesive and compelling, right, to the employer? So all of those things that kind of help along from a technical standpoint. And then I think the second part is just being there, be the cheerleader, right, and telling them that you can actually do this. And I have been through it and other people have been there too. So this is definitely something that's doable and you're going to go get it, right? So like being that emotional kind of support. Um, so th I think those are the two ways in which I help my clients. Yeah. And it sounds like based on what you mentioned earlier that you have been quite successful in providing that help. So that's always great to hear. Um, and, and I'm sure your clients definitely appreciate that additional level of help and support that you mentioned you offer, which is great. Uh, you know, what I will say is as you were talking, you got me thinking about, you know, the role of product marketing. And we often talk about, you know, being generalists. And I think that's one of the reasons why 
so many people, you know, yourself included, come from these diverse backgrounds because there is, like you said, kind of these skills that people develop throughout their career that might not necessarily be framed as a specific product marketing responsibility, but are very translation translatable between various functions and roles, industries, companies, so on and so forth. So, you know, what I would say to that is much like you just kind of suggested, even if you don't necessarily have hands-on product marketing experience, there's definitely at some point in your career where you've done some product marketing related things, if not those exact same things, just under the guise of something else. So I, I just think it's worth reiterating that yeah. there are no such things that, you know, maybe not no such thing as, but we often get hung up on these job requirements of having, you know, three plus years of experience and having done these things. It's, like you said, like, let's reframe it through what are the things that you've done and how do those translate to those responsibilities and to those requirements? And people would probably be surprised at how well a lot of their experiences translate that into product marketing. So I agree with you there. Over the course of 2022, one of the biggest trends I noticed in product marketing is the emergence of product marketing focused agencies and freelancers. To better understand that phenomenon, I spoke with Rachel Lambert, co-founder and VP of product marketing at Olivine. In this soundbite, You'll hear Ray explain why some companies look to partner with external agencies as opposed to spinning up a product marketing function internally. Totally. Yeah, you know, it's not for everyone. I've had a few people being like, whoa, I would never in a million years outsource like the most strategic marketing to an agency. And like, I totally get that. Um, that said, uh, we have an incredible team of people who've worked at some of the top companies. I've worked at Intercom. We have people who've worked at Salesforce, Zendesk. Um, we really get to see, because we aren't in-house long-term, we really get to see how product marketing is done and what works and what doesn't across a ton of different companies and industries. Um, and we've worked with you know, early stage to IPO. We've had two publicly traded clients, um, ServiceNow and now Heartland. And um, we worked a lot in the growth stage, uh, companies like Envoy, Gladly, Eventbrite, um, diligent, hired, you know, we we have experience in-house and through Olivine at a lot of different stages. And then across a bunch of different industries too. So we've worked specifically a lot in the developer tool space and the analytics fintech space and some other like workplace technology spaces. You know, so we can kind of help companies bring in some fresh frameworks and some best practices that we just know work because we've been doing it and seeing them for a long time. And so that's one. Um, another one is hiring is really freaking hard. I mean, you know, we've been working with companies where they're like, okay, we're just going to work with you for a little bit until we, you know, hire our first product marketer. And then a year later, they haven't placed a team. And you're like, good thing we were here getting something done because hiring is just very time consuming. Oh yeah. And the last thing I was going to add is some fresh eyes to challenge the status quo of your company and some of the thoughts that, you know, you kind of get in these ruts about, this is, this is who we are. This is how we're positioning ourselves. This is how we're messaging ourselves. Um, and so sometimes an outside voice can really bring people to the table with kind of a neutrality. Um, and so we can kind of, yeah, bring some fresh eyes, challenge things, drive some alignment. Sometimes, you know, even just a matter of like, okay, this is what you're saying. This is what we think you mean. Is that what you mean? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to have to rewrite that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, just kind of getting people out of their own ruts and 
especially with early stage companies, you know, a lot of messaging or positioning just came from like a CEO fever dream where they're like, they had a dream and they woke up the next morning, they're like, this is our new pitch deck. And they're very excited to have it. But it's like, you know, there is a formula to a lot of this stuff. And sure, we, you know, everyone needs to add their own like secret sauce and magic to it. But a lot of this stuff has been tried and true and we can expose, expose our clients to it. I love that idea of the CEO fever dream. I feel like a lot of product marketers have probably lived that experience. So I'm sure that resonates a lot. So many. I've seen so many. And I'm curious of the clients that you've had so far, or maybe ones even that you've uh, come across in, in early conversations to partner with, have you worked with clients where they've already got an in-house product marketing team or at least one product marketer and they're just looking for that additional support that for whatever reason, they're just not able to, to find in-house? Totally. Yeah. I mean, sometimes companies have a product marketer, but they're just one person and the product marketer really wants some mentorship or coaching or just like a sounding board. It's not that they, you know, need a mentor per se, but just a sounding board to kind of, yeah, figure out if you feel crazy or not. Um, Another thing is just muscle, like pure muscle execution, you know, data sheets and battle cards and product landing pages and sales pitch decks when you're trying to go verticalize or you're t- selling s- solution selling, you know, that stuff's time consuming. Um, and yeah, you can have people pitch in from across the org, but sometimes you just need a little bit of muscle. Um, but oftentimes we come in and um, there isn't a, a product marketer. They're just starting out their marketing and they've decided astutely, I might add, to start with product marketing. Um, so that's wise. But then we've also worked with, you know, big companies. I mean, ServiceNow, we worked with them, publicly traded company. They decided to launch and spin off a totally new brand and product and just hadn't been able to build that in-house team, even though they had lots of smart product marketers and marketing people under the main ServiceNow brand. So we just helped them execute that. Um, other times, like VPs of product marketing are going on maternity leave and they just need someone to come in and, and help help keep things organized and humming while they're gone. And have you found for the most part that those product marketers or product marketing teams have been pretty receptive to working with an outside agency? Because I know in my own experiences, not often, but in some cases there are some friction or some friction can arise between the in-house team and the agency team, especially if a lot of those um, skill sets or responsibilities overlap. Yeah, I mean, totally. That that happens. I mean, like politics is two people in a room, but usually the way we kick things off is we do a series of workshops that bring people from across the company. And I, I like to think that we prove our value pretty quickly where we're introducing new concepts or we're getting scratching under the surface or getting to a solution that they haven't been to before. And they're like, okay, then they kind of thaw out. Um, I find sometimes like sales and product people are a little more untouchable. They're just like busy and they're like, who are these people? And like agencies have terrible reputations, you know, like they're like, don't want to talk to an agency. Um, But I will say, you know, we have a lot of example work on our website and we've all worked at pretty impressive companies. So I think that helps. It definitely hard to break in at the beginning. If you were just starting an agency or just starting to freelance from, you know, cold, but We've been at it for a little while, so I think it's getting easier. Anyone who's been a longtime listener of the show knows that I'm a massive nerd when it comes to product marketing. I love going deep on product marketing-related topics and uncovering new areas within this ever-evolving field. What some people might not know, though, is that I also have a deep appreciation for brand marketing. 
It's an area of marketing that I've always admired from afar and believe that more tech companies need to place a greater emphasis on it. For that reason, and many others, I was pumped to be able to sit down with Mark Huber, head of brand and product marketing at metadata.io. During this highlight, Mark explains why product marketing and brand have been brought under one roof at metadata.io and what some of the benefits have been so far from that decision. So I would say a couple of things, and you can probably tell by now if I'm an open book, uh, I'm honest, so I'll give you my take here. So I, uh, I made the title up and I made the title up uh, intentionally. Uh, I'm not the first person to have this title uh, and I've seen other, um, I'd say B2B uh, marketers with this title that I respect. There's a few out there that have it, but the reason why was uh, I saw the need for this intersection between everything that that we have been doing from a product marketing perspective and will continue to build on because there's so much more that we can do and brand. And it's really the intersection of the story. So like product marketing is owning the story and that narrative for metadata and the brand and everything that we're doing from, you know, a content perspective from our events, like obviously the, the branding on the site uh, needs to reinforce that story. So it needs to stay super connected uh, to each other. So it feels like it's the same story and not just two different parts of metadata. Uh, so again, it's kind of a, a made up title that I that I made up and proposed to Jason. Uh, he was down with it because he agreed with my rationale. And I do think that we'll see more uh, my goal would be you'd see more people uh, or marketing orgs kind of uh, working hand in hand with brand and product marketing. So they're telling the same story and executing it well. Yeah. And I think you've totally justified why that's the case. And I appreciate your honesty and openness with, <laughs> with our listeners about you coming up with the the title yourself. Um, yeah. And, and I think you know a, a lot of uh, people, um, whether they're in marketing or the product marketer themselves, you know, have a good understanding of kind of the differences between the two. But for those who kind of look at marketing from the outside, they might see product marketing and brand and think like, well, like, isn't that kind of the same thing? Or like, I know they're two different things by term, but like, don't they kind of do the same thing? So, you know, you kind of touched on it in your previous answer there, but I'm just curious if we could dive a little bit deeper on what you feel the similarities are and why, again, you've chosen to bring them together, but where mm -hmm. some of the differences lay and kind of, uh, of how they not necessarily depart, but where that line yep. kind of gets drawn. Yeah, uh, so good question. So I would say, let's start with the brand side first, because I think that's the easier side. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what brand, and you probably know this, but I'll tell you what uh, brand is uh, does not mean to me. It's not your logo. It's not the colors you use on your website. It's not your website. It's not all that stuff. I think brand is really your experience that you're having with a particular company. And that experience can come from marketing. It can come from sales, CS, uh, really every single facet of the company. So we are, uh, I'll speak for myself, I'm maniacal about that because that is how uh, we can differentiate ourselves with our experience that we are um, like creating and delivering to our, our prospects and customers. And then uh, I think what we are trying to do with brand is it, it encompasses uh, events, it encompasses content, uh, it encompasses customer marketing, uh, and it encompasses, you know, the design and the, the branding side of things. So there's a lot that lives underneath that right now. I think uh, for product marketing and kind of where that line ends, I think it uh, it's very collaborative in a sense that we are making sure that the, and we just hired a, a senior product marketing manager, Alex Burden, uh, who's awesome. And then we hired a customer marketing manager 
uh, Preston Lamb uh, last month uh, as well. So we're kind of working as like, uh, I'd say a very, very tight knit like team. Uh, and you have to when you only have seven, but even more so when you're aligning uh, customer marketing, uh, your, uh, I'd say content marketing and your product marketing, uh, because it's, it all informs one another. So for us, um, it's more of executing, I think a lot of the like pain points that we solve for and product marketing is positioning metadata in a way that, Hey, this is how metadata can make your life easier. And I'm, I'm simplifying it, but then all of the, the content and the events that we're putting on addresses all of those pain points that, you know, our product marketing, you know, positions. Yeah. I think that's, a, you know, obviously very wise choice on your part. And it really speaks to the fact that, you know, for, I think most modern, um, marketing teams, really the brand should almost be like the rallying point, right? It's, it's everything that everybody across our whole marketing org are, are working towards enhancing and then kind of beating the same drum. You know, I've worked at organizations where it felt a little bit segmented where you have, you know, this marketing team over here doing this work and this marketing team over here doing this work. And yeah, we're all working towards the same goals and KPIs, but that's very different than working, you know, towards this unifying brand experience. So it's exciting to see metadata kind of be very conscious about that. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's already starting to pay off even despite the fact that you said it's a small team and, and only growing. Yeah, no, it's something that um, I think uh, it, it will be difficult to maintain as we scale. We are 100% focused on trying to keep this as we scale. Uh, we know it's going to be difficult, but I think for us, um, we've gotten really good feedback from like the market, our customers and our prospects that they are noticing this uh, because I don't think our direct competitors are doing this well at all. So it's helping us stand out in a sea of crowded uh, MarTech vendors. Another area of product marketing that has fascinated me since I got into the field is competitive intelligence and enablement. I'm obviously not alone in my interest, as many companies have spun out entire CI roles and even entire CI teams out of their existing product marketing functions. Since not every product marketer has a luxury of a dedicated CI resource, let alone an entire team, it's important for us to understand how to spin up and maintain a successful CI operation. To better come to grips with how to do just that, I wanted to highlight my chat with a well-known expert, Andrew McCotter Bicknell. Head of Competitive Intelligence at ClickUp. Let's listen to him share his tips on how to avoid some common mistakes that can creep up during the formation of a CI program. I think the biggest mistake that I ever made was, it's still something that I, I, I struggle with, but it's not, it's just not pressing publish. It's like waiting until like you think something is perfect before you, before you actually um, send it out to teams or before you present on it. If there's one thing that I've learned, and this might be just like a product marketing thing in general, it's just that like the, the stuff that we're working on, like people have opinions on it, you know, and we're not going to be able to always tap into those opinions, like just intuitively, like when, when we're creating battle cards or, or one pagers or what have you. And so like, what you need to do is like probably get like 80, 90% of the way done and then hit publish. And if you, because in a lot of cases, you know, we ask for feedback from a few folks, they might give us a thumbs up or some comments on what they think. But at the end of the day, like, no, we're not going to get the full feel of the room or the temperature until like really we present on it. And so I'm, I'm at that point, like where I, you know, when I was rolling stuff out at ClickUp, I was trying to get into the habit of just like publishing all the time. Like, here's a new battle card. Here's another new battle card. Here's another one pager. Here's how you can use it. Like, let's present it. Let's get it in front of sales. And then 
like, hell yeah, I got some feedback. And like people thought like, oh, this isn't uh, probably how we should best phrase this. Uh, we should probably be looking at this thing over here. And that's totally fine to get that feedback because then it just like speeds up the process by which it becomes a really, really great, invaluable asset. And so just, I would just say, try to speed up the process with which you're delivering, you know, speed wins, you know, they say that all the time for like startups. It's true. I think for individual contributors as well, like when you're, when you have the power to publish, try to do it frequently and it, it'll increase visibility for you, but it'll also increase, you know, the quality of the material that you put out over time. So just keep that in mind. I'm so glad you suggested that. I literally, like, I felt that physically in my bones as you said, (laughs) I too am very much the same way. Uh, and have been throughout my entire professional career and academic career where it's like, Oh, I, you know, there's going to be people seeing this. I want it to be perfect. And I think getting comfortable with things, just being out there to get that feedback is a skill that for some, myself included, takes a long time to develop. And it's something that I'm still actively working on. Um, but I think that's super powerful, uh, advice to take away from this is it might not be, maybe it's 80% of the way, maybe it's 60% of the way there, Mm -hmm. but just getting something out there does allow you to get that feedback, to take it to the next level, but also just shows that you're comfortable getting stuff out to help others get their job done and working collaboratively with them on improving and, and making things better and making things more effective. Uh, as scary as that might sound. And mm-hmm. even saying it, I'm like having a mini, mini, you know, panic attack. <laughs> yes. My own stuff that I'm I was like, oh, this isn't ready yet, but I know uh, I think soon. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. But that's the other part of it too. Right. So like, uh, I guess it's kind of like a two part equation to feel comfortable publishing and then feel comfortable taking in the feedback and being willing to like flex on things that maybe like you don't hundred percent agree with, but like you trust, um, the team who you're delivering this asset to and why they're giving you this feedback. Um, cause at the end of the day, like I don't use the battle cards too often that I create, like the sellers do. They're the ones who are on a call a customer or a prospect brings up some competitor, they bring up the battle card, something works for them or something doesn't work for them. And so I think sometimes product marketers or competitive Intel specialists, we kind of get in our head about like, oh, like feature comparisons. Like that's not like the way we should be like talking about the product or anything like that. But like, there are times where like your CRO is going to be asking you like, hey, we need a feature comparison. Like the customer's asking for that. And like, what are you, are you going to tell them? No, like, no, that's not the best way of like, like, no, figure out a good way of making a good feature comparison. Make sure that you're ready. Like when that time comes. Yeah. So that, that's the only other thing I'll say about that. I think that sometimes we can get in our own head, in our own kind of like product marketing audience, competitive Intel audience. Like we're posting to like our friends on LinkedIn, but you know, when you're actually doing the work, it can, it can look a bit different. And so just be aware of that. As you would probably expect, I listen to a lot of podcasts. One of my favorite podcasts over the past couple of years has been the Better Product Podcast from the Better Product Community. The community, launched by the talented team at InnovateMap, is made up of passionate product designers, managers, and marketers who obsess over creating, you guessed it, better products. In this next soundbite, you'll hear Megan Pfeiffer, Senior Product Marketer and Brand Strategist at InnovateMap, talk about the relationship between product marketing and product design a critical connection during the product development process that I think doesn't get enough attention. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I would say this is definitely in line with like, how does design and how does product marketing accomplish business goals? And how do we do that better together? And one example I can talk about recently was Doodle. I don't know if you know, like Doodle scheduling, Doodle. Yeah. Um, They recently came to us. And by recently, it was, I think, uh, last year to help them go through an updated positioning, messaging, and rebrand process. So we were focused, our product marketing team was focused on defining Doodle's new position in market as a professional scheduling tool. They have always been known for baby showers and barbecues and that tool you used in college. And they really did want to up-level themselves and move up market and, and change that perception and become more of that professional tool. And they had already kind of started to come up with that functionality and build that into the product. They just hadn't really changed what the market thought about them yet. And so what we did is really worked closely together as a combination of a product marketing and brand team to change that perception. And the product marketers did it with words and the product brand team did it with visuals, but we were intertwined the entire time, you know, communicating back and forth, making sure if we claim this thing, how does that show up visually? And really like, I mean, it's super easy then when you start thinking that way, like working towards the same goal for let's say product marketers and um, brand designers to collaborate. In terms of product design, that is, uh, it happens probably a little bit less, uh, definitely a little bit less in, you know, um, internally in companies that product designers and product marketers get to interact because product design is concerned with users and user experience. Product marketing is focused on the buyers and the external audience that you're targeting with your product. And it's probably not news to most of your listeners that buyers and users aren't always the same people, especially in the B2B SaaS space. But a lot of times that's why those two don't really interact as much. Um, But we believe, you know, at, at Innovate Map that to create a better product, you do need a deep understanding of both your buyer and your user. And persona messaging and user journeys are going to be super tied together. Um, But even if they experience, you know, different problems, motivations, how your company responds to each should look a little bit different. Um, But still, everybody should be working towards that same goal. The biggest difference from traditional tech companies that an agency like Innovate Map um, operates as is that product marketing at traditional tech companies may or may not be a part of the conversation in the beginning or at all when building product. Whereas we really want to bring product marketing in from day one. Um, a lot of companies are still defining what product marketing means and ter- like internally in their organization. I know uh, I was at a conference recently where one of the speakers asked, you know, does product marketing in your organization fall under product or under marketing? And it was really like a 50-50 split. You know, some organizations still don't know where it fits best. Um, and then Beyond that, the teams are even siloed. Even if product is a team, product marketers and UX designers don't typically collaborate. But as an agency that has both on the team and works with both at a tech company, you have the ability to kind of bring all those people together in the same meetings, in the same room, in order to have the right conversations. Yeah, I I think that's such a huge advantage of, of what agencies like Innovate Map have over traditional tech is that... Uh, any of the things that you just mentioned, but more specifically that the structure and that siloed nature of how product design and, and product sits away from product marketing in, in certain orgs. And, you know, I think I would love to see more tech companies almost adopt a, an innovate map style approach where from day one, product marketing and product design and brain design are in a room together, hashing out 
net new features or a net new product or service. Um, Cause you can really tell, at least I've come across a couple of companies where you see uh, and you get a feel for a product or a service based on their marketing materials and how they position the message themselves on their marketing site. But then when you actually get in the product, it feels very disjointed, even down from like the, the, the palettes that are being used in the marketing site versus in product, the type of language that's being used. And you can just tell that there was no conversation or, or cross collaboration between product marketing and product and more specifically product design. And it, to me, that really can, can hurt a product. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that, but again, just, calling out and reinforcing this idea that uh, working with an agency like Innovate Map really allows, you know, startups and scale-ups to, to bring in a unified view that they otherwise wouldn't get if they followed a traditional, you know, tech-based or tech company structure. It's crazy just how fast the last year has flown by. And while that may have been the case for me and many others, it would be wrong of me not to acknowledge how challenging this year has been for many people in product marketing and the broader tech community. I know it's easy for me sitting here behind my microphone to say this, but despite those challenges, I am still optimistic about where product marketing is headed and that all those affected by the events of this year will land on their feet at companies that truly value their talents and skills. Speaking of skills, I wanted to end this highlight episode on one of my favorite conversations and topics this year. Every product marketer knows the importance of storytelling to their work, but few know how to articulate that importance better than Danny Peavy, owner of Story Sells. In this clip, Hear Danny explain why product marketers need to expose themselves to as many different storytelling concepts as possible and where they can look for them. And then stepping back and asking, you know, what words, what message does the prospect need to get right here? What message does the customer need to get at, you know, step eight in the, in the buyer process? I mean, call it psychology, call it words, call it messaging, call it story. It's, it's just understanding the buyer. It's understanding the target audience. And, and, and most importantly, I think stories is again, like looking at, looking at a buying journey from the perspective of the user. And so, but to your point, you know, story can feel formulaic. There are great and there have been great frameworks um, even some that I admit I'm not educated on that I, I think are probably from the sixties that have been around for a long time. You know, Donald Miller, who popular popularized story brand talks a lot about the, you know, Hey guys, story brand is just like a simple framework I made, but I got it from the 18 script writing formulas or templates that people use in the movie industry. And so I went and bought that and there are books like this thick that have, plot twists and you do that to the protagonist and all this type of stuff. So I think ultimately it's just, there are a lot of tools out there for product marketers to learn story, to at least get a, get a taste of how, of, of what like story could be, but, you know, tying it back to music uh, at some point you have to feel comfortable enough with your understanding of human beings of with buyers to, to not go off script, but, like jazz music, right? There's a formula to jazz, but there's also not. I think that's what you were sort of maybe alluding to earlier, right? Is that the frameworks and narratives and all those things are great. Like, again, I love story brand, but if you allow them to not let you just riff on, you know, some part of the story and just take a chance, then it, it feels a bit restrictive. So 
Yeah, good point there. I think obviously, as you said, frameworks and processes are good as a reference point, but you don't want to get married to them in a way that they become restrictive. And there are two additional insights that I really want to lean back into. I really liked that idea of depending on where the buyer is in their journey, the story might have to change. I think a lot of the times as product marketers, we lean on examples that we're most often exposed to, and that tends to play out in consumer marketing um, ways. And if you're not in a consumer marketing field, if you're not in a B2C um, environment, you might assume that how things are being done in B2C from a storytelling perspective are the same, should be applied in the same way to a B2B perspective. But you're talking about much shorter sales cycles, much less consideration, depending obviously on the price point versus B2B, which tends to take a period of time, sometimes involve many people, be a lot more money. And the buyer journey changes quite dramatically depending on where they are in that journey. So I really like that recommendation of, hey, really understand what that buyer is going through and make sure you're telling the right story at the right time, whether that's through how you position and message the, uh, the solution you're trying to sell at that stage of the journey to whom you're trying to position it. Um, I think that's a really important takeaway. So thank you for sharing that. The uh, the other thing that I, I quickly wanted to touch on, uh, and again, it's that idea of like the, the storytelling frameworks and processes, Getting inspiration from movies uh, and and film, I think, is so powerful. Um, after reading, you know, um, how to build a story brand, I found myself dissecting films in the same way uh, that David Miller does in the book. Um, but I even further immersed myself in how films and television are written. And, and one of the frameworks or processes, rather, that I found really impactful that I've actually leaned back into quite a bit over my career is the idea of like you. I think some um, storyboarders or scriptwriters they'll kind of like map out the story over a series of sticky notes, and they'll have these like you know Act One, Act Two, Act Three, Act Four, Act Five, however they want to you know structure their story, and they have where the character begins and they have where the character ends, and then the process of writing the script is filling all the parts in between. And I know that seems really vague, but I have found that very powerful through the lens of where is your customer most likely today, where do they want to, where do you want them to be at the end? And where does your product or service or solution come into the middle to help them get from the beginning to the end? And building from those two points inwards, I have found to be a really powerful way of framing how things are positioned and messaged, and ultimately that story that we want to tell. Yeah, that that's super insightful. And I 100% agree. In fact, no, no lie. This morning, I was like, drinking my coffee at like 6am and watching Vince Gilligan, who created Breaking Bad on YouTube literally talk about what you just said he's like it was like top 10 screenwriting tips and he literally just mentioned all right act one two three four with the cards and you fill it in and quite honestly like going back to story brand so like when i was a kid and i, I would watch movies i you know I'm, I'm an overthinker right i would watch a movie and my wife's like can you just enjoy the movie bro like you know when your wife calls you bro it's awesome that's like when you have a great relationship so but I would like to start breaking down, like, why is this happening? Like, why, why did that person react that way? That's one thing that I've always gravitated to in my life is like, why did that person react that way? Why did that human being do that thing? Even like with my own, not to get too deep, like with my own self-analysis of like, why did I do that? Why did I feel that pain? Why did I feel that emotion? And so for me, story brand, and like when I kind of encountered this product marketing world, it just validated for me sort of the foundation I had around story. And, and it was exactly what you just said, which is I'm already breaking down a story or a TV show 
and you know, looking at it through that lens. And so when when we're all talking about story and marketing and I was in sales, I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, it just so it was a little different, different for me, if that makes sense. It wasn't more like find story brand and then learn movie. It was like movie, TV, script. I mean, I wanted to write a script for the longest time. It's still a dream of mine. And then it's almost like the business part of it was a little easier. Before I sign off for the year, I want to take a second to thank my guests for sharing their insights and wisdom, the Product Marketing Alliance for supporting me in the show. And most of all, I want to thank you, the listener. Without you, there would be no way for me to meet and chat with the amazing product marketers I had the pleasure of speaking with this year. I hope you and your families have a relaxing and safe end to the year, and I wish you nothing but success in 2023. Thanks for a great year. On to the next one. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.